This is the Listening Project podcast, sharing our stories to amplify our voices, a project of the RPA. We are Richmond organizers who have listened to residents who are the most harmed by some of the biggest polluters in our rich city. These are our stories. I believe, you know, we should have a plan. Um, you know, obviously we should have a plan, you know, that. Uh, but now it's not like, you know, just a plan to oh, try to make, you know, this, um, try to gain back the money that we're um, losing, but a plan that, you know, like, where we can have a stable economy, you know, a stable local economy, while, um, you know, maybe providing, like, adequate jobs, good-paying jobs for um, Richmond residents, um, um, while we can, you know, have, provide something sustainable to Richmond, like, whether that be, you know, um, electricity, water, um, food, locally grown food. So I think, you know, around the city, you should, you know, try to, create a plan that helps, you know, the, um, that will help maintain the local economy while providing good job um, for the Richmond residents. Hola, hola, this is Marisol. Sol, don't call me Mary, la prima, la profe, with the Listening Project. Very excited for a very unique episode. Today we are talking to the United Steel Workers Vice President for Local 5, BK White. And we are also talking with uh, City Council Member Eduardo Martinez. Y'all know Eduardo Martinez. Uh, he has been an environmental justice leader and has been featured on this podcast. We are very excited for this episode to really talk about workers' rights and what sometimes our community feels a divide between the workers and the community. And we would like to go deeper into that uh, so we can kind of set set the record straight on some things in Richmond, real Richmond folks talking um, to incredible community leaders. So um, BK, I would love for you to share a little bit about yourself uh, as, as a worker with the, in the refinery. And then of course, your role with the United Steelworkers. First of all, thank you, Marisol, for having me here and uh, for being here with Councilmember Martinez. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, my name is BK White. I'm a United Steel worker. Um, I work at the refinery. I've been there for 29 years. I work in the hydro processing area. I'm also vice president of our uh, local five. Um, I've worked in Richmond for over 30 years, having worked at the railroad at Santa Fe before. Thank you. And our listeners actually know all about the Santa Fe Railroad uh, because in our very first episode, Lay of the Land, we talked about the history of uh, that, that railroad and what it meant for us becoming uh, a refinery town. Thank you so much, BK, for being here. And Eduardo, very excited to have you on this episode. Um, can you share a little bit more about yourself? Uh, we know that you were a teenager you are a teacher with um, in our elementary schools and you were featured on our asthma club um, where you were instrumental for creating a PE class outside of your usual class to help young people that had asthma. So I'm very excited to welcome you as an environmental justice leader and a city council member. Can you share um, a little bit about yourself and uh, how you've been in relationship with workers? Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Um, uh, I, I know that uh, without workers, nothing gets done. So they're the most important uh, part of our society. 
And so uh, anytime I can do something to support the plight of workers to make sure that they're supported in, in whatever jobs they're doing, uh, I'm there. Um, I, I'm also very, very uh, concerned about uh, climate uh, chaos and what and I'm concerned about uh, what needs to be done in order to to you know stop it and so um, in order for that to to happen uh, we need to have uh, uh, organization uh, and cooperation between uh, among organizations to make sure that no one's left behind thank you so much thank you so much and that's really what we're going to dig into. And so let's get into some of the, the numbers, the nitty gritty here, BK. How many workers does Chevron employ in Richmond? And then how, much, uh, how many does your union explicitly, the United Steelworkers, uh, represent? Chevron employs, it's a, it's a fluctuating number uh, due to the fact contracts, contractors coming in and out. But roughly there's 1,300 uh, people uh, a day that's employed out there. Uh, my union. United Steel Workers represents about 500 to 550. Thank you. And then how do how does a union represent workers? And how does it really work between the corporation, the employees, and even the community? I'm not to be condescending, you know, to break it down too much, but as we all know, as a union, uh, we work with with whatever corporation it is and get a set of rules. And as a union, we believe that if our if our members know a set of rules, they can follow those rules. We also negotiate for things like benefit and health and safety and, of course, wages. And um, so on a daily, we, we hold the company of the corporation to honor their, their agreements they've signed, to keep our people safe, to keep the environment safe, and um, to make sure there's no disparity uh, in the treatment of our workers. Thank you. And now, um, Eduardo, you have been in the city a very long time. What do you feel uh, has been the relationship between the community and the workers at the refinery? Well, there, you know, um, it's been improving. I, I think uh, for a long time, um, some of the unions have been creating a our uh, dichotomy of, of uh, environment versus workers and it's been a false it's been a false argument and I think we've finally come around to seeing one another as people with the same interests and with the same goals so um, um, I think we have been improving in terms of our communication and uh, this improvement is going to have us working uh, more strongly uh, with each uh, with each other. So I, I think um, um, as we move ahead, uh, we'll be on the same page. And in fact, um, uh, on the city council, we've passed a lot of um, resolutions uh, supporting the, um, the, the workers at, at Chevron. Uh, even even as far back as as um, uh, 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 February seventeenth, twenty fifteen, we passed a resolution 
supporting the workers' rights to do a stop, uh, 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 to do a, a, to encourage safe and orderly shutdowns for the event of stop work action. And so, and so, you know, we continue to support workers in that way. Thank you. Really important to note that and the history around that. And now um, we, we talked to a lot of community members and there, there has been such concern in regards to workers. And so BK, this question is for you. You know, we've been researching throughout this podcast, um, the 2012 um, horrific explosion. And then of course, uh, most recently a 2021 oil spill, um, which could have actually been prevented if Chevron had actually listened to their workers and their worker alerts regarding unsafe equipment, machinery, practices at Chevron, but they didn't listen. And I want to just better understand why. Historically, what has been the relationship between Chevron and its workers? Chevron's relationship with its workers is no different than Chevron's relationship with the community with government agencies, with oversight agencies, it's hubris. It's hubris and it's money that has never had the answer for its actions and, you know, to pay off fines and, and keep doing the things that it wants to do. As um, United Steel Workers coming from OCAW, um, we help we help found uh, OSHA and we teach our, our, our people PSM. We are very active in PSM and, and we worked hard to get PSM in the law. So we educate our people they know when they see something wrong, they bring it up to, you know, the refinery leadership. And a lot of times the, the dollar outweighs uh, safety or the environment. Absolutely. And I think this actually comes into another question, a more, more recent uh, development, actually, that is... Um, we understand that the United Steelworkers contract ended January uh, 31st. 2022. Um, and I, we just want to better understand where contract talks are right now and what are the local issues within the contract that y'all are pushing for? Um, yes, you're correct. The, the contract did end uh, January 31st. Um, so we have a two-prong um, negotiating process. There's a national table and there's a local table. And, you know, there's tables in LA, there's tables you know, in Texas, in, you know, uh, Philadelphia, in Louisiana. And the national table did pass a pattern and it has not been officially offered over our table, but pattern has been set if it's accepted. But we still have a, a bad table in Richmond. And, um, you know, there's safety issues that we, we were pushing for, for um, um, electronic manual writers and um, procedure writers. Uh, procedures or something that was found in a 2017 CalArp um, audit um, that we were lacking in. And we need uh, dedicated people who know the Richmond Industrial Safety Ordinance and write these procedures. So there's things like that. Then there's also a group of people, um, 30 people that work at the lube plant. And uh, for some reason, they want to uh, treat them different, disparate treatment. And they believe that the rest of us will turn our backs on them and leave them out in the cold. And that's against every union principle we have. They've attacked our union um, seniority, wanting to be able to pick and choose, you know, who works certain jobs, um, safety work orders. So there's, there's just, it's been very contentious. Um, you know, it's been a disrespectful table. 
Mm. And, you know, the things that we're asking for are not outlandish. It's just that, once again, the hubris of the, of the industry, which we fight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for uplifting that. It really does sound like health and safety are, are at the core of that contract. Um, and now for City Council Member Eduardo, how have you as a city council member uh, supported workers? And you actually talked about that um, with these re resolutions. Um, and how are you uh, supporting them now? I do remember that there was a resolution most recently. Can you explain what is why resolutions and, and, and how you've generally been supporting our, our workers? Hi. Um... I have an open door policy to my office and this open door policy doesn't mean that I just welcome people to come talk to me. It's actually proactive and I go out to organizations and I talk to them and I find out what their concerns are because you have to see all sides of an issue before you can really make an intelligent decision as to what to go forward or, or, or what sorts of resolutions need to happen. Resolutions are important because they show the community what is of importance to them. Uh, it, it lets them know what the issues are and uh, and it lets the powers that be, the people who are making decisions, know where the city stands. And one thing that Chevron needs to know is that we will always stand with our workers because our workers are the community. Chevron is a company that has come into our city to do business. And that's all they are, a company that does business. And our objective is to make sure that the business that they do is not only helpful to the city of Richmond, but it's helpful to the community and to the environment as a whole. Um, I, uh, I have a nephew who works uh, at Chevron and, uh, you know, I keep tabs on what's happening. I talk to uh, union leaders, I talk to uh, environmental groups, and it all comes together as 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 a wake-up call as to as as a bk has said the the hubris that chevron is trying to washes over with and uh, uh, every time i talk to chevron um chevron officials uh i, I realize how strong we need to stand together absolutely absolutely and so um Talking about safety in particular, we're definitely interested in our community has been um, surveyed over and over again regarding safety issues, um, especially within the climate crisis. And so this question's um, for BK, what safety measures are needed for the, the refining of crude oil? And what are the possibilities if those safety measures are not met at the factory? The refinery. Well, um, there are measures. There's some hard measures, which we, you know we could talk about equipment or training or things of that nature. Then there's some some more soft skill type um, measures. Some of them, you know, consist of giving the workers the right to stop unsafe work, to have that work seriously addressed, and to not always just these companies make so much profit. To stop and do the right thing in no way will damage these companies. They they print money. 
So it's just greed um, to run through the stop signs or the warning signs when you see something's wrong with the process where you could pull back and, and keep the both the uh, community and the environment um, safe. But the other thing that needs to be done is some honest dialogue and to answer to the people that you're affecting and to not always give the corporate, there's nothing dangerous in this smoke or there's nothing going on with that anytime there's a release. So I think they should be answerable to the, to the communities in which they um, operate in. Um, I don't think they should, you know, always throw up their lawyers and not speak. I think that they, they should be answerable to the people that they make all these profits uh, in their environment. Absolutely. I absolutely love that, especially because one thing that we've been hearing a lot with our community members is Chevron always says it's acceptable. This this flare was acceptable. This was acceptable. And everyone uh, that has been asking this, who's it's, it's acceptable. acceptable. <laughs> it's acceptable when you don't live there. Yep, exactly. And that was, yeah, absolutely. Really important. Um, another member said, hey, how far removed do you have to be from a community uh, to really to do this type of um, work in such greed? And so, yeah, really spot on there. I want to go ahead and ask um, Eduardo kind of the same question uh, in regards to safety. What concerns do you have on behalf of the community's safety and well-being? And how can the city or other agencies really regulate health and safety concerns at Chevron if they can at all? Well, uh, a lot of the regulations start at the state level, federal level, state level, and uh, and then we're basically uh, told to work with it. And uh, uh, unfortunately, Chevron has a lot of money and they use it for lobbyists to get regulations passed that tie our hands. Um, one thing that really concerns me is, is what you said, this acceptable level. But, you know, what they don't talk about is the effects. You know, if you have something at an acceptable level hitting you day after day after day, when does it become unacceptable? Um, and and then these acceptable levels, uh, they're, they're just they're just numbers uh, that 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 people throw up, and those numbers change. You know, um, the more research we do, we find out that the numbers that we had in the past were wrong; they were not stiff enough, and so. And so, you know, how are we to accept the numbers that we have now, knowing that there's hasn't been enough uh, scientific research into in, into how uh, how these things affect us? Thank you, absolutely. Um, and you know, this is really digging deeper at a concern that we've heard over and over again from our community, uh, which is the relationship between. Chevron and our community. We've been hearing it is quite contentious. Um, our community is very, very concerned uh, about the climate crisis uh, around health impacts of living next to a refinery, et cetera. Um, and they've been fed a lot of lies and misinformation from Chevron. So uh, this question is to, to both of you. Um, what do you think uh, Chevron's relationship with the community is? Well, I think Chevron has a 
good relationship with the, with the tax collectors, but not with the community. And the community are the, the, the faces and the people that you see um, down on Pennsylvania Street or uh, Rumrell or, you know, down on McDonald or Easter Hill. Those are the people, the people that I shop with, you know, at Food Co or wherever you may go. Um, they don't have a relationship. The only thing they see is the results of incidents, fallout from smoke. And they have no reason to trust or have a relationship with Chevron because the monies that are being paid in taxes, I don't see them making it down to the people who I think would benefit the most and the people affected the most by the refinery being there. Yeah, and I, I'd like to add that um, Chevron's relationship with the tax people actually isn't that good because Chevron always wants to pay less taxes than, than they're asked to. So um, every four years, Chevron seems to want to contest their property taxes, saying that it's way too high. And in a lot of instances, they've won. Uh, the, the city and the county won only once in, 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 those, uh, in those conversations. And, and, and what happens is that um, Chevron uh, is able to appoint people who are friendly to Chevron. Chevron also tries to buy the community by, by taking a lot of money from the community and then giving it back out to us in, in, in little bits and pieces saying, you know, this is, this is for your organization, this is for your church, you know, remember us. And so um, uh, we need to make sure that uh, we hold Chevron accountable. And uh, as BK was saying, we need to get them to have an, a, a, a real conversation. I've been trying to get them to uh, start a conversation around a just trans transition, you know, because they know, we know that eventually uh, oil will uh, fade out and renewables will, will come in. And the best time to have that conversation about that transition is now. Later Absolutely. is not going to cut it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in further episodes, we're actually going to be defining what a just transition is and, and how our community uh, looks towards and imagines that just transition. Um, and so, you know, we talked about Chevron, we talked about the community, we understand, you know, that's really profit over people in that regard. But now let's go into the workers. Um, in particular, I want to go to a, a survey. So we surveyed over 650 people about the climate crisis. And we asked Richmond residents, do you or do you know someone? It doesn't even have to be related. We just said, do you know of someone that worked at the Chevron refinery? And of the 265 people, 80% said no. They didn't know anybody that worked at the refinery. And I just want to see why. Why is that? And what can we do to build a better relationship with workers and communities, uh, workers that are working at a refinery and communities that are living next to a refinery? I'll ask uh, BK first and then a similar question to Eduardo. Uh, when I hired in, my coworkers would come to work and they would say, you know, Chevron's hiring. I live in Oakland and I would check the Oakland Tribune and I checked the West County Times and there was nothing of the hiring. 
And over time, I found that they were only hiring out in Vacaville and Fairfield, not to knock the people out there, but they weren't hiring out of the community. And it hit me that it should be overwhelmingly uh, employment of people from the community of Richmond than outside. You know, I'm from Oakland. I'm not from Richmond. So I should have less of a chance to work there than people um, from Richmond. But it, it was on purpose. Uh, for what reasons, I can I cannot tell you. You know, it would only be speculation. It would be only conjecture. But it's a reality. And so 80%, you know, I know there are people who do have families uh, in Richmond and um, went to school in Richmond, but that percentage is so small. It's so small. So um, I think that the... Chevron owes it to to hire and and to and to invest more in the city of Richmond. Absolutely. And and Eduardo, similar question, you know, how does Chevron play a role in kind of pitting workers and residents against each other? And and how do we change this? Uh, I think uh, workers from away from the community is is their is their playbook, you know, um, uh, I, I said that my nephew works for Chevron. Uh, what I didn't tell you is that my nephew lives in Vacaville. So, so you know, there's the, the there you bridge. go. <laughs> there you go. And 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 when Chevron was doing well, well, when Chevron did their expansion, their hydrogen expansion, they actually brought people in from from out of state to do the work. And so, and so, you know, um, uh, uh, luckily we, luckily it was redone by, by, uh, by local unions, but you know, th there were a lot of problems because of the design and the way that it was done. You know, that's why there was a lot of excessive flaring. Uh, correct me BK if I'm wrong. Uh, no, no, they did bring in workers from, uh, from out of state and they've always done that. They've always, uh, you know, um, they would hire uh, people from Texas and uh, Louisiana to come in and work our shutdowns. And I would just sit out there and go, man, you know, I can go right outside the skate and find people that could use that to make their lives better by, you know, making this money. And I've just, it just never made any sense. It never made any sense to me. Absolutely. And I think that's what our community is seeing through that this. <laughs> Chevron is taking advantage of this kind of communal narrative. This folks are coming outside um, because that's what we're hearing from our community. Nobody lives in Richmond. Um, they're all commuting. They're not paying. They're not buying lunch here. They're not shopping here. You know, they they live outside. And what I keep on coming back to is that that narrative plays to only Chevron's advantage. It is something that is used to divide and conquer workers and community, because imagine if the workers were from the community, what would that look like? They would not be able to, to go, workers wouldn't be able to go home. They would be coming right back into the community, living and breathing um, everything that, that we are doing 24 hours. So I really do think that it's part of the, the capitalistic nature of, of multi-billion dollar corporations. So I really appreciate y'all um, really helping educate our community about this. Um, 
as we move in towards the, the last um, few minutes here, we're really interested to see uh, what happens. In recently, we, we did research that different oil refineries across the nation, um, you know, had shut down. There was something in, in Philadelphia where uh, there was an explosion during the pandemic at Marathon Refinery and, and that refinery closed. And we don't want that to happen here so quickly overnight uh, with such devastation. Um, so what we surveyed our community residents about was what would happen if Chevron were to close their doors? And one of the biggest concerns was the loss in jobs, the loss of uh, employment. So although our community may not know the workers, 80% say they don't really know a worker there, one of their biggest concerns was a loss in jobs. And so they're still very, very much concerned about workers. Uh, and when we asked what could be a solution, they also said, how about we go green? They talked about wind and solar and electrification. Um, and so first to BK, how do you see workers, the community and Chevron possibly moving, moving towards a green economy? Um, the environment and running responsibly is the most important thing that we can do. And moving toward green, uh, you'd have to have blinders on not to know that we are attempting. Um, it, this is a big shift. It will take a while to get there. You know, people immediately look at electric cars and they think that's the answer, but, you know, jet fuel, you know, um, lubrication for any bearings you've got for machinery, there's a lot into it. So um, in the meantime, what we have to do is to run the, the facilities that are here responsibly and run them to have zero negative effect on the community or the environment, making decisions based on that, the profits there. These guys can't lose money. The profit's there. They just had the conscience or the integrity to keep that at the forefront over trying to satisfy, you know, Wall Street. They could do it. And at the same time, parallel, um, inching into green um, and realize what we're doing with green economy. You know, there's, you know, there's the waste with batteries and stuff like that. So we have to make sure that the green decisions we make are the right green decisions but definitely uh, moving in that direction and um, um, paralleling with the community. Yeah, I agree. Um, something else that's, I mean, you propose Chevron closing their doors. Um, closing the doors is not the problem. The problem is how they close the doors. If they just close the doors and leave town, then that's a problem. But if they, close the doors, stay here to clean up the mess that they created. Cleaning up that mess will create jobs. Uh, and then if they take time to train the workers that they've hired to transition into other jobs, that's another role that Chevron should have as a community member. But um, they do need to see, start seeing themselves as a part of the community as opposed to just pretending to be a part of the community. Um, 
And this is the last question for both of you. Um, you know, what is your hope for the future of workers uh, and the, the Richmond community at large, BK and then Eduardo? My hope is that the, the workers don't buy into the propaganda or the narrative that the corporation puts out, you know, of people pointing fingers and trying to shut you down and, and somehow vilifying the people who are only trying to breathe, who are only trying to have a good quality of life, who have in, in, in the environmentalists and, and local leaders who only care about the people who live in Richmond. That's the only thing, the only thing they want out of this. And hopefully that we can, our people can have that veil lifted over their eyes and start getting more involved in things in the community, things that do not give them a direct reward back to them, but understand that you owe, you know, the city of Richmond for all that they put up with some kind of payback, some kind of um, uh, time and effort and to help them out in areas that may be struggling in. And my hope is that the Steelworkers, Local 5, and the community continue our conversations and that we expand those conversations to start including the other unions, like the pipe fitters and, 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 and the carpenters and all, all of the others into understanding what this conversation is and how important it is so that uh, all workers can be on the same page and working together to create a better safer reality for all of us. I also think that um, part of just transition is going to require a uh, change in our mindset, a way how we, uh, uh, the way how we see things, uh, how we live our daily lives. And I think that's a conversation that, that we need to start now. Thank you so much. Um, there is only one Chevron and there are over 100,000 Richmond residents and workers in our city. And so with that, I would, I wanna thank again, one more time, BK White with the United Steelworkers Union Local 5 representing Richmond Chevron right here. And then our city council member, Eduardo Martinez. And with that, we're gonna go into our listen up message and we will see you next week as we continue the Listening Project podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And I wanna thank you for the fantastic work that, you do, that you're doing, getting, getting the word out and creating community. Thank you to our workers, to our community. And we are a union proud, union strong city. And now here is Roshi with our listen up message. Rich City, listen up. Well, definitely it should be retraining workers to green jobs. It, sh it should make a commitment to train workers for green jobs. The, the Richmond refinery workers that are Richmond residents, it should demand that Chevron pay for them to, to be trained to get green jobs. And two, it should restore the soil, restore the, um, the water that Chevron has, has polluted uh, during its more than 100 years of being here and make a commitment to people's health, um, to restore people's health. Love you, Richmond. Pride and purpose. And salute, man. Stay up. And I know I ain't the hottest, but I promise for this city, I got us. Believe me, I got you. You got me, I got you. You got me, 
I got you. Hey, rich city, I'll never let you go. You don't know that I love you, rich. You don't know that I love you, rich. Rich city. Thanks for tuning in to the Listening Project podcast. A special thanks to the Richmond Progressive Alliance for making this podcast possible. The RPA's goal is to take power back from corporations and put it into the hands of the people. To learn more, visit their website at richmondprogressivealliance.net. Thanks so much.